Welcome to No Concessions, your favorite movie podcast where we talk about subgenres of film. This week's subgenre is holy shit, old men being useful to society again? <laughs> is this a taste cluster or is this a genre? It's impossible to tell. This week we're reviewing the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen from whatever year it came out. 2010, I want to say maybe? It was before then. It was before that? I think it was like 2003. Holy shit. That's I'm right. unsure. Yeah. I'm confusing the year it came out with the year of the yeah, next movie we're going to be talking about. Yes, I, right. I didn't want to give away any spoilers. Yeah, League that. of Extraordinary Gentlemen came out in 2003. And what's funny about it, just to get off the rip, is... Sean Connery was the first choice for, or one of the early choices for Gandalf, and he and, turned it down. And then, did you read the the trivia <laughs> oh, bit shit. for the next one? He was going to be the uh, choice for the architect in The Matrix Reloaded. Right. He also turned that down. He was like, I don't understand science fiction. I'm not about it. I'm not going to do these movies. And then both those movies were fucking crazy successful. So he signs on to do this comic book adaptation. And it fucking sucks. <laughs> and he retired from acting. This movie did so poorly that Sean Connery quit the craft. That's they, awesome. They also paid him $17 million, and that gave them very little budget to bring on any other big-name actors. Which is why no one else in this movie is recognizable at Dog, all. Dog, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> all right. Uh, it's an ASMR podcast now. We've got higher-quality mics this time. Yeah, we're recording in the famed Hickey's and Dry Hump studio here in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California, where the walls are green and the lights are fluorescent and the points don't matter. <laughs> yeah, with uh, everything shut down in quarantine, they have no idea we're here. Yeah, it's true. It's true. We just snuck in and turned everything on. Yeah, because they're still paying for power. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we get to the review, we've got the opening segment, as we always have for these latest episodes because they come out so few and far between these days. What have you guys been watching? Who wants to start? Uh, well, I've got more tales from the saga of taste clusters. Perfect. Uh, let, let me tell you how far the movie recommendation industrial complex goes. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to make my way through a bunch of like slightly older movies that everyone's heard of, but for some reason I've never seen despite um, sneaking my way into a movie podcast somehow. Uh, <laughs> I watched RoboCop a few months back, or a few weeks back. Uh, great, right? At the end of the movie, directed by Paul Verhoeven. I think, oh, huh, I've heard of that name before. I guess I've never actually seen his movies. This is cool. Another week goes by, uh, I watch another few movies, and then I pick up Total Recall. End of the movie, directed by Paul Verhoeven. Oh, wow, amazing. Yeah. Look at me finding these movies not recommended by any Netflix or Amazon or Hulu algorithm. I'm totally outside the system, right? <laughs> so then I'm scrolling through Netflix last night thinking, you know what? I'm not going to listen to these percent matches that Netflix is recommending me. I'm just going to look up something. Hmm, hmm. Basic Instinct. Directed by Paul Verhoeven. Again, <laughs> and these are the order of movies that he made them in as well. So uh, it's just kind of weird. There's no escape. We live in a simulation. Uh, bottom line is thumbs up to all three movies. Would watch again. <laughs> <laughs> Easy peasy lemon squeezy. What the fuck? That's sick. All Paul Verhoeven. He did uh, Starship Troopers as well, right? Yeah. Did you Have you seen that one? No, it's next on my list. Yeah, check that one out. Because it's so funny. 
I mean, if we're tying it into recent events, you'll see a lot of like right wing dipshits quote yeah, Starship Troopers not realizing oh, that I've, they're. I've seen the red letter media review about. Okay, it. perfect, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, dude, it's it's actually pretty fucking funny. Anyway, Charles, what have you been watching? Um, I have very little time uh, <laughs> because I work in manufacturing, and it's about to be Black Friday and Christmas. Real fun, but I did binge watch, which wasn't difficult because it's only eight episodes, the first season of The Mandalorian again in anticipation of season two. And it's still good. It's like when you know what, when you know it's coming, it's kind of less engaging because it takes its format of relatively short, slow paced episodes and its weekly release to really keep the momentum going. So when you watch it all in a row, you kind of lose some of that, but it's still enjoyable. And season two so far has been interesting because I'm also looking forward to restarting uh, or resuming my rewatch of the Clone Wars series and then into Rebels. So I feel like if I had kept up on that, I'd be at a perfect overlap, no spoilers there, but there is an overlap in those series and the Mandalorian right now that it's good. Disney's good trying to salvage their Star Wars by moving into TV now instead of movies. It's probably a better idea based on how that sequel trilogy ended up going. I mean, honestly, they fucked themselves. I think film executives, at least from what I can tell, just watching how things have played out over the last five or ten years, are less willing to try new and interesting shit yeah. than people on TV. And it makes sense because you're dealing with a lot more money. Right. But at the same time, fuck it. Give me something cool. Why not make a new ship in Star Wars, huh? We haven't seen a new ship in a long yeah. time. What, you have Star Wars s squadrons out now? And you've got like these piss-colored ships flying around space? Like, what's going on? Yeah, Look, I'm, as, I'm as, sick of X-Wings, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> as a kid, I did have the book Star Wars, The Guide to Vehicles and Vessels. Oh yeah. Or, <laughs> you fucking nerd. <laughs> I also had that book. <laughs> Two nerds. I didn't know we went back to real nerd hours over here. It's got like Jesus. three hundred different ships, most of which don't even appear in the movies or most of the books from what I've seen. So I'm kind of curious to know what sort some of, of like it was like, actually like it was concept art for ships that never made it into because it was that was it was a pre that was the um, that was before the prequels. So it was like concept art that Ralph McQuarrie did for ships and then stuff that made it into some of the games that was like because of George Lucas's whole deal of everything is canon as long as we produce it. <laughs> Oh shit! You it love all, that. It all counted until Disney bought them. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if they wrote if they wrote that book and then included all the ships in the movies and then realized, oh shit, we only have like twelve pages worth of content in here. Authors <laughs> just just go nuts. Anything you can think of, the Sun Crusher. That sounds pretty cool. It's a ship that can blow up stars. It's more powerful than the Death Star. Wow, ten year old me is blown away. Yeah, I love all of the. All of the Star Wars media where it all boiled down to it's even bigger than the Death Star. Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, right. maybe, That's so embarrassing. Maybe you should pump the brakes on having a book come out every year. LucasArts like let's <laughs> I know they lack imagination. Yeah. I mean, and it's even like Knights of the Old Republic, as great as that game is, still has a Starforge. Yeah, the Starforge, this giant sun that is like this giant planet that's even bigger than the Death Star, but thousands of years before the Death Star that's just like gone now or whatever because you don't destroy it. 
it's just hanging out on the far edges of the galaxy. And it's, they just recycled it for um for Avengers for the to, base to make Thor's oh, new yeah. hammer. <laughs> they effectively recycled it for um episode nine or episode seven. Episode seven. Episode yes. eight. Force Throw them all in there. Oh, because that thing sucks up suns yeah. and then uses that to fire at planets, right. which is stupid. Why not just destroy the planet or destroy the sun and the solar system? Yeah, and then ruin that whole system. Yeah, like what are you doing? That's you a fucking way, idiot. That's a way greater show of force than I destroyed some planets a few systems away. I ruined this galaxy. I ruined this solar system forever. Yeah. If you resist us, we will ruin your planet and every planet near you. You'll die slow, awful deaths it because will, of this. It will be painful, and you'll be aware of it the entire time. And if you try to escape, we've blockaded the entire system. And yeah, Star Wars, Star Wars, Marvel properties, all of that shit could be done so much better if they just allowed people with imaginations to do things. Yeah. They've got some fucking dickhead with uh, some Ivy League degree that used to work in marketing that just wanted to be a writer, pounding away on a keyboard, writing this, and it's like, okay. It's well, actually worse than that because they hire people who were like want to do stuff and then they kneecap those people until they have something that's safe. Oh, Jesus. Okay, so then it's like the producer saying, well, instead of driving a Corvette here, because we have a strategic partner with Volkswagen, <laughs> we'll put Tony Stark in this Volkswagen or this old Toyota Corolla. That's so close because it's actually just Audi. <laughs> Tony Stark, I'm, I just finished. Uh, another thing I just watched was um, all of phase one. I'm working my way through all I, of the movies. I thought you said you didn't have time. To watch movies because you're busy at work. I mean, he's, well, he's, busy, have, that's only, he's busy watching those you, movies. You do have a big monitor at work. <laughs> I do have a big, but I use that to read Star Wars comic books. <laughs> <laughs> now, the um, phase one is only eight movies. That's 16 hours. I can spread 16 hours out over a month. And then Mando is eight hours. So, Oh, they're hour-long episodes? They're 45 minutes to an hour, yeah. Jesus. So it's manageable. That's only 24 hours over a month. Get off my dick truck. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched phase one and they get in that Audi branding from the jump. And then I was remembering cause like in the first, first Iron Man, you see two Audis in the same scene <laughs> that just raced each other. And then I thought about an end game when they go visit Tony at his cabin. Steve and Natasha are driving an Audi. And then when Tony pulls up to the Avengers compound to help an hour later, he is in an Audi. Audi has been in the MC has been the official car of the MCU for fucking 20 years. Jesus. I wonder how many cars they sold from people watching 12 years. Sorry. <laughs> I wonder how many times somebody said, well, how about this? What if Tony gets out of the Audi and the Audi transforms into his Iron Man armor and it's just got the Audi insignia across his chest instead of his little dumb diamond thing? That was for sure pitched at some point. <laughs> Someone for sure pitched and Tony's car turns into an Iron Man suit and it just never made it in. Hell yeah. I haven't been watching much lately myself. Uh, I recently stayed up a little bit too late the other day and watched like seven or eight kung fu movies. Good for you. 
And the modern ones, I'd say, are worse in that modern editing kind of fucks up fight sequences. Yeah. And the wire work gets a little bit goofy at times. Because, like, in the older, like, 80s ones, they, there's still some wire work. But it's not as, like, obvious as, like, this dude is, like, fucking, like, Jet Li and Romeo Must Die. Where he's <laughs> dancing around the entire room. Like, it's not, it's not like that it's like okay this guy jumped a little bit higher or this dumb thing is reversed so it looks like they're jumping up on the roof like it it's things like that which are like fun and you can recognize that they're kind of out of place but it's still like enjoyable whereas like i watched something with donnie yen which was just like special effects out the ass like they're throwing fucking swords across the room and shit and they're like doing 10 backflips and it's it was goofy and i appreciate like the folklore that's behind it because it, from what i can tell in all of the movies that i watched it's like all derived from the same source points was, where it's like was that it man four no 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 i watched the it man series actually like maybe three months ago and i was like this is okay i guess like it's not great but it was um, something where he plays like an assassin for the throne or some shit and he's betrayed by the government and then he has to like win back his redemption or some shit. It's like a very long convoluted dumb story about stupid things that happen. I just kind of assume that any Kung Fu movie is going to have a story of that caliber. <laughs> I'm not watching a Kung Fu movie for the story. It's that's true. I'm, that's watching true. My, I'm watching my pretentious slow moving movies where everyone talks like they've been hit with a tranquilizer. That's where I go for my hardcore story. <laughs> <laughs> or like the Netflix cartoons where it's like everybody's whispering into the mic for some reason. It's very weird. They talk like this and it's like pitched up like the volume's <laughs> turned up a little bit so you can actually it's really weird. Hey, you know, Jack Bauer won a bunch of Emmys for talking just like that all through 24. <laughs> okay. Okay. I would say, honestly, I managed to get my hands on two old Jackie Chan movies, my lucky stars and another one with Sammo hung. And both of those movies are complete dog shit. <laughs> like they are terrible movies. They're God awful movies. They, the stories make no sense. Like in that they legit just don't make sense. In the beginning of my lucky stars, it's like Sammo hung and, uh, his brothers or something like guys he works in the fucking some intelligence agency with and they all live together they all wear like weird sets of pajamas to bed and they're like brothers or something it's really weird and creepy and then they take a trip to Pattaya I think that's in Thailand and they're like hanging out having parties and they meet a bunch of ladies and then they get in the fights and like it's it it's really off the wall. And then eventually there's like this completely divergent story where this lady named Barbara is like trying to protect somebody who snitched on some drug dealers. And then they all meet at some point and Jackie Chan's like hardly in it. Is this a movie like before Jackie Chan became Jackie Chan? Like the, I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, it was early eighties, maybe mid eighties. And he kind of blew up around the early nineties in the U S at least. Where it. he was doing like the terrible dubs is just yeah, like, dude. Rumble in the Bronx. Rumble in the Bronx is a good one. Classic. I mean, at least those stories make sense. This one, and there was this other one. I can't remember what it was called, but it's got like Benny the Jet Uquieras in it, and it's the famous fight where Benny kicks out the flames on candles. And you watch the entire movie. There are three fight sequences, and like. 
I would I would say the last one is worth watching. Just the <laughs> last fight, like the last 20 minutes of the movie are worth watching. And you can find those clips on YouTube because the rest of the movie is stupid. It It's like not worth watching. They run a food truck. This prostitute is really the secret daughter of some fucking monarch in Italy or Spain or wherever the fuck they are. And of course, hijinks ensue. They get involved somehow. Sammo Hung plays some like fucking detective who knows Jackie Chan and his friend. And for some reason, him and his friend who run this food truck are super adept at fighting. They get up every day and train to fight. And it's like, dog, like, okay, this is just an excuse to like put fight choreography in a movie. <laughs> and whoever wrote this just had no idea how to write a movie at all. It's fucking bad. It's bad. All Both of those movies were terrible. So I can understand why people would do something like say, watch the fight scenes on YouTube. Because these movies are not good. It's I watched the entire movie thinking that like I had my modern sensibilities turned on. I was like, oh, dude, if this fight's in this movie, then the rest of this movie is going to have some sick shit in it. I was like, no, this movie exists for that fight scene. and <laughs> That's <laughs> it. That's it. Terrible movies. It's uh, My Lucky Stars or Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars, one of them. And I can't remember the name of the other one, but both of them are dog shit. Don't watch them. <laughs> When we get back, our review of uh, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. This week's subgenre is I can't remember what I said at the beginning because we're all getting older and it's very much harder to remember things. It's I think old, old men who are useful to society. There we go. Old men are useful to society. Yeah, as the youngest 30 year old here, I think you'll have to rely on me for the short term memory recall. <laughs> oh, God, what a nightmare. Oh, anyway, uh, this week we're reviewing League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Directed by Stephen Stephen Norrington, produced by Trevor Albert, Rick Benatar, Sean Connery, Mark Gordon, Don Murphy, and Michael Nelson. Screenplay by James Dale Robinson, based on The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. Starring Sean Connery, Shane West, Stuart Townsend, Petta Wilson, and Jason Fleming. Music by Trevor Jones. Cinematography by Dan Lauston. Edited by... Paul Rubel, and it was released July 11th, 2003 in the U.S. and sometime in October in the U.K. with a runtime of 110 minutes, budget of 78 million, and box office is 179.3 million. All of those things in mind, that's actually a pretty good return on that yeah. movie. I was thinking that's I'm surprisingly good. Return. I'm surprised that they didn't make a sequel because they had one planned and they effectively doubled whatever their investment was. Yeah, yeah. Not taking I, into account whatever marketing is. Yeah, and when you consider that 17 million of that went to Sean Connery, that's still pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. That movie, if they would have dropped a sequel, it would have made sense. Sean Connery can't die. He's too old to die. Africa <laughs> will never let him die. Yeah, he was around when the uh, the continent of Africa first formed. <laughs> so he's not going away anytime soon. I was, I was about to say the country of Africa. Oh, boy. That would have been real bad. Anyway, yeah, so this movie's about 
classic superhero shit. Like a very much like villainy villain who's evil for the sake of being evil. Have you, either of you read the comic? No. No. They change uh, a lot, and it's not. All, it's also not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was. It was like, it is Alan Moore on some. It's almost like someone trying to imitate Alan Moore, but because Alan Moore is the kind of literature nerd who got into comics, that like it's basically the Avengers of. Late eighteenth, early or late nineteenth, early twentieth century literature, and it's way more violent, and it's real uh, rapey sometimes, and super racist, like <laughs> mad racist. <laughs> Captain Nemo is actually a white man, and they just keep what uh, what's his name Ishmael Ishmael's the Indian dude or what? Like that was the other way around. Now Nemo's still Indian and. Ishmael's not white. Um, but like the Invisible Man, the way they find him is there's this all girls school and it's all girls like Catholic school and all the girls keep just ending up pregnant. Oh no. Jesus Christ. And they're like, yeah, let's get him on the team. And so they capture him. They're like, we got to figure out how you fucking turn yourself invisible and why you can't turn yourself back. And also side note on him uh, in the movie, they only call him an invisible man because they couldn't get the rights to the invisible man. <laughs> so because Universal sold him the rights. If yeah. that's all it takes to be able to use the exact same property is, oh, just change the to and how, how, how come Marvel can't just say like, we're going to use Spider-Man, but it's going to be one word. It won't it be hyphenated. No <laughs> the costume is exactly the same, but it's like. All white instead of not black. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Spider-Man. His name is Paul Parker. <laughs> He's just always in costume and we never see him out of costume. So it doesn't matter what his real name is. <laughs> and just call him the Spider-Man. He's a, the Spider-Man. Just like they could have Anne Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's like really not good. I do prefer how they find Alan Quartermain in that instead of him being just like some old British, but actually Scottish hero because <laughs> Sean Connery refuses to do accents. And he's like, instead of just being some old retired hero, that just like ends up in Africa so that people can't bother him. He's an old, he's former, he's still former adventurer, but he's just an old heroin addict. who's just been so broken by his many losses and failures that he like, can't handle it and they find him in an opium dim in China. <laughs> it reminded me of the shadow when I saw that. Like all, all movies should start like that. <laughs> just in an opium den with their hero just smacked out of his mind. Hell yeah. And they spend like most of the first volume of that just being like, look, Alan, you gotta get your shit together. He's like going through withdrawal and shit. He's useless for most of the first arc of that story. But they make a lot of changes to the comic. And I think most of them are for the better, but it's still bonkers. Okay, okay. This movie's not very good. Um, I don't understand what the plot here is, like why they need to get everybody together in order to accomplish what they need to. So first off, it takes place <laughs> in an alternate universe where all the books that you were forced to read in you know, AP junior high school, those characters are real people. And they have to be brought together by the mysterious M, which I think was like a, 
uh, James Bond illusion. It was definitely because he got Sean Connery, so you got to have something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Even if it's real dumb. Yeah, it, it turns out <laughs> in the end, the M happens to be uh, for Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes, which is a pretty cool twist, what? I thought, too. But um, Oh, I wasn't paying attention when that <laughs> happened. <laughs> Sorry. Why Spoiler would you have Moriarty and not Sherlock Holmes? Why would you? Well, because <laughs> Sherlock Holmes died. This takes place after the book where they both fall off the uh, waterfall. Yeah. And they're like, they even bring it up like, I thought you were dead. It's like, that th that man died. I'm a new man, and I have new ambitions. I'm greater than Moriarty ever was. And it's like, you're still using the same name, dog. What are you? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, just watch Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows, and then watch League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Discombobulate. Actually, don't do either of those things. <laughs> Discombobulate. Discombobulate. They needed, Discombobulate. They needed more of those slow-mo, think-ahead fight scenes. Discombobulate. <laughs> Discombobulate. Um, I remember thinking that first in that first Sherlock Holmes when he does it like he's in the fight pit and he does like the thinking through the whole thing. It's like, oh, man, that's fucking cool. And I watched it the second time when I wasn't drunk in 19. And I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> this is dumb and overused. And just in the first movie, not, they didn't have a chance to elevate it to parody almost in the second one. They did it was at the, the end uh, where he's in the fight with Moriarty on the on the building. And he, that's what I mean. Like they do it so much in the first one that they don't even need a sequel to make it a joke. Yeah. 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 For those of you listening at home at the end of that movie, the second Sherlock Holmes dance with darkness or whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> these cats are like <laughs> fighting on the edge of a building and shit. And uh, Sherlock Holmes does his future projection shit where he's just like, I'm going to do this. He's going to do this. And then Moriarty responds psychically by saying like, oh, you're going to do that. Well, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. And then Sherlock Holmes is like, well, fuck. Now I just got to swan dive with you off the side of this building. Make it happen. It's stupid. So then Moriarty survived and he wanted to gather together all these classical literary heroes um, under the guise of the Phantom. Very operatic. And do, do, do you get it? <laughs> Phantom with an F because I watch all my movies with the subtitles on. The Phantom with an F explicitly for some reason. Yeah. So the Phantom of the Opera is a, a terrorist who's trying to start a world war and they say it with like so much gravitas because remember this is like 1899 or something and this hasn't happened yet a world war inconceivable uh so then uh it turns out that the phantom was really moriarty the whole time and he was just trying to gather these people together to collect their powers and find out like how to turn people invisible or how to turn people into vampires, or making a, a fleet of Nautili, the uh, subs that Captain Nemo uses, just to be able to sell them during the middle of this war. You know, wasn't Moriarty supposed to be smart? Yeah. Like, this, well, is this, is the, this is the exact same like uh, motivation he had in Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows. He's going to start a world war and then sell weapons to both sides to make money. I mean, yeah, it must be the CTE from the fall, <laughs> the traumatic brain injury, making him so dumb and doing convoluted schemes like, let me gather five people together, six people? I don't even know. It doesn't matter. I forget. <laughs> it's supposed to be six, and then fucking Tom Sawyer shows up. <laughs> so Tom Sawyer, who isn't in the original comic. And he, I'm not sure if it's anachronistic or not, because I don't remember what year the Tom Sawyer books are supposed to take place well 
I mean, remember the source material we're thinking of here. <laughs> uh, he originally wasn't even in the comic. He was added by the movie producers to appeal to American audiences because they thought it would be weird if there were only foreigners in the movie. You couldn't make Dorian Gray American? I, what? what? I, I mean, it makes sense to some degree because it's like very myopic and it was right after 9-11. So yeah. it's like oh, right. oh, we got to have more yeah, white people in here. We got to get an American in here. <laughs> how did so? Tell me how the fuck did American intelligence find out about this plan? Right, but couldn't figure out that it was like a double cross. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> even that smart. He was Secret Service. He wasn't even a relevant intelligence agent. <laughs> I work for the president. I'm supposed to be holding his hand and wiping his ass right now. But I took vacation days to do this. Yep. Let's wrap this up before my 14 days are up, guys. It's worth noting that it's 1899. And so this plan to start the world war early is like, why not just set it in when World War One actually happened? Or like in the events that actually led up to World War One. And if you're a historian, don't at me. I don't care. But <laughs> I just thought it was interesting that it was like specifically 1899. First we're gonna party like it's 18. <laughs> not, they have their own 9-11. That's the true. Drew up Venice. Oh, yeah. It's 9-11, but with a whole city. Yeah, it was 2003, so we were just getting into 9-11-ing everything in movies. Yeah, it's uh, it's good shorthand for, remember, these people are terrorists. These are the baddies. <laughs> Only bad people blow up buildings. <laughs> Unlike Americans. But unless never they're white, we liberate like buildings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if they're white and they destroy a building, it's because they were just, they were misled. They were an individual and there was nothing going on. <laughs> it's like, we're only seven years removed from Timothy McVeigh, dog. Like, what are we doing? Anyway, <laughs> one of some of the highlights and the plot fucking doesn't matter. This movie moved so quickly, but also slowly. Like one of the, like, I, one of my notes was this is moving really quickly and now we're all on the like everyone's assembled on the boat it's definitely gonna sandbag soon and it fucking did we spent so long on that fucking boat before the venice stuff happened yeah like fucking dr jekyll out here about to beat it to watching <laughs> the vampire lady and dorian gray fuck why why make why would you make dr jekyll an incel like for what <laughs> He, he made the Chad formula. That's what that was supposed to be. <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and his Mr. Hyde is the Chad. Virgin Jekyll, Chad Hyde. Come on, guys. The Chad formula just makes you all big and jacked and unfuckable. Yeah, like it's literally impossible for him to do anything at that size. And then like they try to pull like the, oh man, he's all, because this is the same year that Ang Lee's Hulk came out. Yeah, right, right. And so they try to do this whole thing where he's like this giant monster and then he starts talking and he's like, oh, but he's smart. <laughs> he's, he's smart, but he's just got anger problems. Yeah, it's like, he's misunderstood. Like, what are we doing? Why is, why is this a thing? I will say that as much bad CG as there is in this movie, it is kind of nice to see that Hyde was a suit and like everything that he's almost until like that last fight he's in, you, it's all like in camera. Like that's kind of cool. Shout out to trying to do something practical yeah. in this otherwise overambitious spectacle. The set design and the costume design in this movie really whip ass for yeah. like the dudes on Nemo's ship. That stuff is really cool. Yeah, the Nautilus looks very cool. 
everything they do on camera. Doesn't look like a submarine, though. It also, as my girlfriend kept bringing up, is way too big to be any of the places that it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an alternate universe where uh, Venice was built on top of the middle of the ocean. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, the Nautilus can fit in real Venice, but in fake literature 1899 Venice, it can fit wherever it needs to fit. You know what I want to see? I want to see this but remade with the universal monster universe. Oh, the, the dark universe. The dark universe. This, is, this is the dark universe, <laughs> but set in the time period the books were written. Like, we would if the mummy had been passable, then 2022 would have seen just the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but like called Dark Universe and equally as bad. Yeah, yeah. With Russell Crowe barely able to move around, old as shit. No, they would they would have Mark Ruffalo that shit. It would just been his <laughs> face on a giant model. They had all the actors set up for like all the different famous classic monsters. It's like that's you're missing the point. Like we, you did this already. Well, Fox did this, and it was bad. Not to mention they're following the the successful strategy, as we all know, of. Uh, having Avengers first and then having all the origin <laughs> stories follow. We saw how successful the DC. Yeah, shout out to the Snyder Cut. It's going to fix everything, guys. Oh, yeah. The uh, the new image of Steppenwolf came out today. Some pretty good tweets about that. One person saying, There's oh, no such thing as a good tweet about the Snyder Cut. <laughs> this, this looks like the, uh, the cover to like a graphics card, the way he looks now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I mean, to be fair, the version he's using is the version that we see in BVS in the communion scene that was deleted, which is probably why Joss Whedon thought he could get away with changing the model for when he took over that film. Anyway, League of Shorting Gentlemen, like it moves so fast in the first 45 minutes. It's just like Quartermain is found. Things are blowing up. They just hop from character to character to character, like hunting them all. And then once they get together, it's just like, well, what do we do now? I was like, well, here's the plan. And then they find out the plan, and it's like, it's a double cross. <laughs> what the? F it, like, what was the even first the point? Set piece of the film is an hour in, and that's when the plot turns as well, where it's like everyone has just been talking about how weird they all are, and then <laughs> Venice gets nine eleven, and. They think the Invisible Man stole everything, and he didn't. It turns out he was just invisible the whole time. And just quiet for the only time in the movie he's ever quiet. Well, it's, I mean, they, they spent so much of their budget trying to bring on Sean Connery. They could only, like, finance the effects of his invisibility for so long. <laughs> and I also like, one of the things I like about the Invisible Man is they randomly, like, between shots sometimes go back and forth with how much of his head is covered. So, like, one shot, it'll be just his face and, like, some of his stubble. And then the next shot, it'll be his whole head because they're like, we can't CG this every time. We're just going to put a bald cap on you, paint you white, dog. We can't. <laughs> It's like his costume is just a hat and a trench coat. I did really like the opening act, though, because it felt like that scene from Avengers where Captain America says, I understood that reference. So I felt like every single old literary illusion they were making, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I understand I that. remember that. It's like you see the pictures of like the other leagues and it's like Robin Hood's in one of them. And that's the only one I recognize. So I'm not a fucking nerd. <laughs> and... It's probably like the Three Musketeers. Yeah, I think uh, that was one of them. The guy, the Count of Monte Cristo's sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Like I, I started trying to get into like classic classical literature in that way, but it's like fucking boring, dog. And like, it's written in a way 
that's just like they'll go off on a tangent about something unrelated for like two chapters and never reference it again. It's like, yeah, you know, this this area of France was known for this, that and the other. And there were maids with huge tits who worked here. (laughs) And it's just like, cool. There's so I recently read The Princess Bride. And it's interesting that you bring that up because the original Princess Bride is like a parody of how a lot of like Western literature would get like that. And so the version of the Princess Bride that we know, the one version that was adapted into the film, is a writer who was like super into it as a kid and but didn't realize that his dad, who was from the actual region that the book is based in was skipping over all like the boring over the top satire parts of it where it was like it would just be genealogy or like real minutiae because that's how a lot of like western writers were writing like the classic literature that we have are forced to study in high school now it is a lot of it gets really like insular and detailed like that and so uh morgan stern when he wrote the original princess bride had so much of that that it was like over the top and cartoonish like, you know, how some of those adult swim shorts will like run a bit into the ground to the point where like it comes back around and it's funny again. That's kind of what he's going for. And so when it was rewritten, it was like, oh, I need to write a version of this. Like the story is really good, but no one who doesn't get the specific type of satire is going to enjoy this book ever and wrote it into like basically a just the good parts version of it. Oh, they need to do that with all old books then. Yeah. Yeah. We need to get that treatment all over the place because. If you guys had to build a fictional super team, who would you who would you put on it from like fucking public access or what's it called? Ro- no, not royalty free. Um, public domain. Public domain shit. characters. Yeah, public domain shit. You you put together a super team. Oh, of those you gotta people. do Robin Hood because everyone does Robin Hood. Yeah. Robin yeah. Hood, Zorro. Uh, the Phantom is Phantom public domain. I don't think so. I think the Phantom's Fuck. domain. Uh, let's go with like Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan. <laughs> Actually, like uh, who who did Bill and Ted assemble? Right, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I'll, I'll just go with all of those people and then make them fight aliens. Funny, you should say that because <laughs> the, the sequel idea for the next League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was to have them fight the against world. the tripods and War of the Worlds. Jesus, how the fuck do either of you know this? Is that Look, was that in the comic? Was that is that where the comic it's, went? I, IMDb trivia, man. Yeah, Jesus, there's. I got to start looking at trivia. Yeah, it's in the. Um, there was a there was a sequel to the original, like one of the two or three sequels to the original there, story was. There, so, there was also a hint in the movie of um, they're walking by some building on the way to Dorian Gray, and there's like a uh, a poster, like a news advertisement that says volcanic eruptions on Mars and that was supposed to be like a hint yeah. of oh, this is what's going to happen. How the fuck would they know that? They don't have the technology for they that. Telescopes. They could see we could see Mars in um Well, look, Nautilus had solar panels which weren't invented <laughs> oh, yet. Touche. Right. They, they also a, had um the automobile like, car ra- radio Morse code which wasn't invented until 1901. Yeah. You know what? I'm over here doing the logic checks <laughs> of a fucking fantastic movie. I sound like one of those dudes who's just like, "How can a woman be piloting the spaceship in this fucking spaceship fiction movie?" Uh, yeah. No, nah, let's So I think I think I've been reading a lot of like mashup shit recently. There's a comic book that had the Shadow, Zorro, uh, Green Hornet, and Kato. Oh yeah, I, it's called Masks, and I read that and I was like, this 
is terrible. <laughs> Make it a movie. I want to see this movie. Give me Green Hornet and Kato and Zorro. And all these fuck Zorro. I, I really like Zorro. Dude, The Mask of Zorro is a fucking incredible movie. Like, watch it. Like, what the fuck are you doing right now listening to this? Yeah, Go turn this watch. shit off. Go watch The Mask of Zorro. <laughs> it's on Netflix. And then after that, don't come back to this podcast. Uh, Go look up the Zorro series from the fucking 40s. That shit slaps. That's, that show is so good. Okay. I'll have to check it out. I it, So before Disney had like a bunch of original programming, um, Zorro was one of the shows they would show like in the middle of the night. And I developed insomnia real early. And <laughs> so I would just stay up and like watch Disney until cartoons were over. And then they'd be like, Hey, here's the Disney vault before they started using that to sell us the same VHSs every two years. Um, here's the here's the Disney vault. Here's a bunch of stuff from like back in our back in the 20s and 30s. And so you, you would see all these old cartoons and then also all this old live action stuff. And the Zorro series is real good. Hell I yeah. like revisited some of it on YouTube a couple months ago. I was like, why don't we get? Why don't we have more Zorro? Why is it Zorro? Well, they tried. Oh no, I'm thinking of Lone Ranger. Yeah, yeah, Lone Ranger sucked. Zorro, you could do just like cast Mexican actors in it. Just yeah, do just, it. You know what? Put in some brown Mexican people and make all the light skinned Spanish the bad people. Yeah. Like, and that's like in the story. <laughs> yeah, like like it played out in reality as well as in the story. You fuckers! But that the one with Antonio Banderas is so good. It's like really, really good. And I don't know why Anthony Hopkins is in it playing a Spanish dude. Because Anthony Hopkins was just in he was didn't he also play a Spanish dude in Three Musketeers? I think so. Fucking weird. Fucking Anthony Hopkins, man, just all over the place. Did you know that for every role he says his lines two hundred and fifty times to prepare? That's weird. I want to see those tapes for Transformers Five. <laughs> he was unhinged in yeah, that movie. Dude, Anthony Hopkins, I mean, we'll get into it in the next episode, but that man's career in the last 20 years has been something. It's else. been something. <laughs> all right, all right. So uh you somebody had alluded to it earlier where uh nobody in this movie has ever been heard of. Yeah, they're all a <laughs> bunch of nobodies. I mean, I know the guy who played the invisible an invisible man. <laughs> oh, yeah, and um the guy who plays Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah, I recognize he's, him. He's like a big English dude, right? Big English actor. J- Jason Fleming. He's Jason been in Fleming. A couple yeah. guy Ritchie movies. Yeah, he's he's familiar because this was probably early in his career when he was still cheap. He was just like, This is my big break in America. <laughs> Fuck you, England. Well, We're going early in Guy Ritchie's career, so he hadn't uh, he hadn't blown him up yet. Oh, right, right. Or maybe it was the other way around. Guy Ritchie was like, <laughs> this big guy from the UK was in an American one movie. One. I love it. Love to see it. Anyway, what are we rating this movie? On a one to five? Yeah, one out one to five I'd stars. Three and a half. I kinda liked it. Oof. Ooh, that's high. That's <laughs> high. I'm going I don't even know if I can give it a two and a half. I gotta oh, go shit. hard too. This movie's bad. Yeah, you like, know what? Even, I'm, I'm upgrading it to a four. I gotta balance that out. Not even a, it's not even like a good spectacle movie. I'm like, this is... The movie's only like an hour 40, and I was exhausted at the end of it. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I think this is like a solid three, mostly because like the dressing around the movie is cool. Like there were competent people who worked on it. Yeah. Like the practical stuff. Uh, the some of the effects are actually pretty decent. Still. A lot of the I do I will say a lot of the, the a lot of the effects like held up better than I remembered them being. 
Especially like that, even like the giant monster at the end. I'm like, that doesn't look as dog shit as I expected it for 2003. I was kind of like, yeah, he's like rubbery, but it's a cool design and it he looks like he's in that space. So yeah. that's some, that counts for something. Yeah, another yeah. interesting point about their practical effects, the 20-foot Nemo car that they had, uh, it had three pedals, uh, not because it was gas brake and shift, but because there were two oh, brake sorry. pedals. Oh, sorry, it was gas brake dip. <laughs> that's what those pedals, <laughs> come on, guys. It's a little E40. <laughs> Ooh. All right, sorry. Yeah, the uh, two of the pedals were for braking either the left or the right-sided wheels because it was the only way that the stunt driver could pull off some of the moves the car had. That's so sick. Yeah, that car was, that car was at Comic-Con. To give you an idea of how big this car was, it had six wheels, not four. But the, but there was four wheels in the front instead of four wheels in the back, like some of the Batmobiles. Yeah. All right. So let's it is a very just, cool looking we'll, car. We'll do a three. I'll I give suppose. It, I'll, all right. I'll give it a three. You all right? You I feel, feel like, me on rem, making me remember the effects. I'll give it a three. Yeah, I feel like four is just too generous. Three and a half is a little bit too generous. But four, we can live with it. Or three, we can live with the three, right? We can live with the three. All right. So when we get back, our titular segment, No Concessions, where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movies. back to no concessions and we're doing our titular segment i'm not going to explain it again i'll go first this time <laughs> uh my no concession pick is a negative one it's for twinkle twinkle my lucky star <laughs> it's probably one of the worst movies i've ever seen in my fucking life like just straight up and down mostly because of the two completely divergent stories and like okay look there's there's some amount that I'm willing to forgive. But if you're doing like an entire episode's worth of like side story, like this is like legit, a big part of that movie is them being in Thailand and the dudes being weird in Thailand. Like one of them goes to see a witch doctor and he gets this doll so he can make women fall in love with him when they, when he like pricks their heart with a needle. It's so fucking weird. And like that's like a good portion of the movie. It's him and these dudes that he lives with. They're all brothers, maybe I don't know. And they go to Thailand to just have a vacation, and it's super weird. And the fight scenes in it, the fight choreography is fun. But I swear, like just look at it on YouTube. These movies, a lot of them, as I'm finding out, aren't even worth watching. It's just, they're terrible. Yeah, cool, cool fight scenes. Again, look them up on YouTube. Not worth sitting through an entire movie for. Skip to the good parts. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know how podcasts have the like skip 30 seconds forward feature, which I'm sure you're like going to use. Um, <laughs> movies need that, uh, but they're not correctly implemented because Netflix has one, but it's only like skip ahead 15 minutes. They need like skip two minutes ahead as a new feature. That's my idea. For I didn't even know that was a thing. I could be wrong. It could be skip backwards 15 seconds. I think they have it skip forward though. Okay. That's interesting. I, uh, 
And I canceled Netflix for the first time just recently because Netflix sucks. I'm, I'm about to. I realized I hadn't opened Netflix until it was for like until we watched the movie for the next episode. I was like, I don't even remember the last time I used Netflix. Why am I paying for it? Exactly. All right. Who's next? I'll go. So my negative note concessions this week is Ocean's 12. <laughs> I really like Ocean's 11. I have a soft spot for that movie. I don't know if it's good, but I like it. Um, and so I, once they were all on Netflix a couple months ago, I rewatched all three of them. Really like Ocean's 11 still. Ocean's 13 is, it's the third, it's the third one. <laughs> it's, it, it's fun enough. And they execute it with a lot of the same kind of energy as Ocean's 11. Ocean's 12 is dog shit. <laughs> Ocean's 12 doesn't make any, like, it doesn't really work on any level. Like, everyone's back and they're in Spain, France, fuck, Spain. They're in Spain. And it's got, like, it's got weird cameos in it. The plan is, like, they're set up against some, like, other thief or, like, they know there's another thief involved, but not in a way that's, like, engaging at all. It's just, like, some mystery. It's, like, fucking... Carmen San Diego or some shit. Like it's so <laughs> it's so much worse than Ocean's Eleven that I'm astounded that Ocean's Thirteen happened at all, even though it still took like six years to make to get made. Ocean's Twelve is bad. Like there's a weird dumb cameo by uh, it's like Bruce Willis and Julia Roberts, but like because Julia Roberts is in those movies, and so she plays herself, and they use that to. As part of the heist, they're like, we got to get into this place and we got to get it shut down, but we've got to get you because you look just like Julia Roberts. And, and so Julia Roberts is like, they like do the switch and then fucking actual Bruce Willis is there. He's like, oh, Julia, what's up? Like, I didn't know you were here. And like, why, why is this scene happening? Why are we, why are we doing this? This isn't like really funny. And it's not even like a good way to like subvert, like have this part of the plan go wrong. It's just you have to pretend you're Julia Roberts and just like just be hung over. Like just there's so many ways to get out of this, <laughs> but it's fucking bad. I didn't I it's been like five months since I watched it was like that was early quarantine rewatch. And I remembered how much I didn't like Ocean's 12 specifically. Did you ever watch Ocean's 8? No, I never got around to it. I did. Oh, what'd you think? Uh, well, it's bad, but I need to know the context of how bad it is because you could argue that if the story is set up the exact same way Ocean's Eleven is, then I'll allow it being bad in the same way that I wouldn't like Ocean's Eleven. But I don't know anything about Ocean's Eleven. I've only seen 13. Here's why. Every single time the, like, uh, the protagonists run into some sort of issue, it's never really a problem for them. So at one point, they have to steal this super expensive diamond necklace, and it's locked in a bank vault, and it has all these sophisticated security systems that are stopping them from being able to get it. So they're worried, oh no, how are we going to get it out? This is central to our plan for whatever our ultimate heist is. I don't remember, because I've forgotten already. It's not a very good movie. And in the very next scene, their hacker specialist comes out and says, hey, here's my idea, and it works perfectly. So there's never really any issues with the movie. Okay, that sounds about right for at least the latter two Ocean's yeah, movies. Yeah, that sounds... Because I feel like they were just, like, 
more high-end versions of Adam Sandler movies where it's just like, oh, it's a bunch of friends who get to fuck off to a different part of the world yeah, for a while. It's just like the dialogue is snappier. But, I mean, two of those movies take place just, they're both in Vegas. Yeah. And this, the second one is definitely like a vacation movie um, for George Clooney and Brad Pitt and then like the rest of them get to go. It's not, I guess Matt Damon was also famous at that point. I think the fun part of those movies is like the heisty part where it's in the trailers and it's like George Clooney being handsome and he's explaining things. He's like, so the first thing we're going to need is a couple Chinese gymnasts. I mean, like Ocean's <laughs> Eleven is fun, but I feel like it benefits from having the structure of being a remake. And so because the plot is already there, you just have to like modernize some elements. They can focus as like the writing staff once they've got like oh yeah the setting is just is updated we did that part of it now we can just write the snappiest dialogue and all the actors are at least fairly competent if not like really good and so you get these very good deliveries and like the dialogue is fun, like genuinely funny and witty but it just oceans 12 feels like it's just that or it's just like how can we just be how do we keep like that same kind of dynamic going without any cohesion to it? I feel like they kind of got back on track with Ocean's 13, but even Ocean's 13 is like fine. It's just fun to watch because the scale is bigger. Gotcha. That's interesting. All right, what's your pick? Uh, well, time loops. How do they work? <laughs> Fucking miracles. Uh, so I saw 12 Monkeys uh, on my quest to watch all these older movies that everyone's heard of, but for some reason I haven't gotten around to seeing. Uh, and it's a negative no concession, because even though I love me some good time travel movies, this one felt like it was just throwing time travel in as like window dressing to the movie itself. And for a movie that has time travel as its central component, it put very little detail into like people's perceptions of it. Cause it's supposed to be like with this technology we have, how does that impact the people that it's affecting? Uh, but they never really use it. It's just kind of like everyone's living underground. It's 2045. It's the future A virus has totally killed off 99% of humanity. And the leaders of this underground society send people back in time to try and find what the source of this virus was. But um, the overall plot of it just felt like a little too scattered and weird and it dragged in parts and Brad Pitt's in it inexplicably. He's a crazy person that Bruce Willis, the main character, meets in a mental institution. And even though his Brad Pitt's uh, performance is like very off the wall and very weird, he apparently won a bunch of awards for it. It's just kind of there for the sake of showing off some of Brad Pitt's acting range. So it feels a little more unnecessary than the movie actually calls for. Um, so ultimately I would say 12 monkeys, not as good as the Paul Verhoeven movies I've been watching. I'm going to go back to those. <laughs> okay. Fun. Starship fun. troopers. Next on my list is, is 12 monkeys. One of those movies where it's like, Oh no, by going back in time, we caused the virus. Yes. Figures. <laughs> Fucking figures. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening to this week's edition of No Concessions, a movie podcast. You guys got anything to plug? The Charles Time on Twitter and Instagram, because branding.
Yeah, no hypothesis also on those social media sites. Excellent. And don't try to find me on them. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.